Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Uh, one of the things we can consider is when we are talking with somebody different from us is how do they need to hear a message in order to receive it and, and comprehend it? What approach do you need to take to get through to them? For I'll give you an example. Uh, there are some people, well, all right, I'll get, let's do a little teaching, right? If we look at uh, Aristotle, uh, who's one of the early philosophers we like in the study of speech comm, he was trying to figure out how we think and process as humans. And the words he used are somewhat well known, but even if you don't know it, let me share it to you in the context of how we use them in speech communication. Aristotle was saying that people are either, they process things either in an inductive or deductive reasoning pattern. So if I'm an inductive thinker, that means that I need to have all the background information first and then tell me the point, then tell me what you want. If I'm a deductive thinker, I need the point first then give me the background details. And this is a very profound concept in communication because when these two people meet each other, look out, <laughs> there is a level of frustration that just tears the communication apart. I mean, if I'm a deductive thinker and an inductive person comes to talk to me, uh, you know, I start looking impatient. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, what do you want? What do you want? What? Get to the point. I get so mad, right? And the reverse is true. If I'm an inductive thinker and this deductive guy comes to me, I look, I look, I sound, I look confused and I sound like this. What? Hold on a second. Wait, how did you get to the, would you just back up? So the skill is to know, number one, what, which way do I tend to lean as the one who's talking? And number two, what does my listener need me to be in order for them to get the message? And that's a hard concept for some people because there are a lot yeah. of folks who said, you know what? I am who I am and I'm proud of who I am and I shouldn't have to change to be somebody else. That's not what we're talking about. This isn't about being a different person. This is about accuracy, sending a message in a way that another person gets the message. How you day, how you day. That was the voice of Ethan. Now, Ethan and I dive into different ways we can communicate in today's world, whether it's on the interpersonal level, whether it's individually within ourselves, whether it's in the offices, or whether it's on stage. We talk about every facet of communication in as many ways as you can. And as you hear in the interview, it's very enthusiastic, very forthcoming with advice. And he comes from a generation of 
people that have taught communication on several levels so he brings with it a certain prestige to it i'm excited to i'm excited for you all to hear what he has to say i'm also excited for you to apply the concepts that he brought and really illuminated to to you all and me uh, when it comes to communicating with people that think differently from you i think that's a very important skill in today's world where everyone is almost too quick not everyone most people are quick to think of the world in a binary way as opposed to nuance that we know we are governed by so i think this is an episode you're going to enjoy before i pass it on to you all so you can check out the episode i want to introduce you to a new brand that i've started working with it's called visme it's www.visme.co Visme is the world's most versatile content creation tool, empowering individuals and leading brands to create and present compelling stories in the form of engaging presentations, infographics, documents, videos, graphics, and everything in between. For more information, make sure you visit www.visme.co. That's V-I-S-M-E dot C-O. Check it out and enjoy the episode. Welcome, everybody, to another episode of As Told by Nomads, and today's guest is Dr. Ethan Baker, second-generation speech coach. Now, Ethan discovered from a very early age that if you knew how to harness the power of speech, you would be the most powerful person in any room. He went on to become the youngest, highest-paid marketing executive at a very large corporate company and then decided to go off on his own. Today, celebrity icons and major business leaders hire Ethan to control the fear of speaking, command greater attention, and close larger deals. The White House even refers to him as someone who could help improve the political speech campaigns. His book, Mastering Communication at Work, is an international bestseller and has been used at Harvard, John Hopkins Universities, University of Texas, and many other schools. Today, we're going to be diving into every single way you can master communication at work and anywhere else in your life. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm glad to be here. Thanks for having me on. All the pleasure is mine, Dr. Becker. So we were talking earlier about uh, how you you got that that doctorate title, and you let me know that you have two doctorate degrees. Now I I, uh, yeah, I often hear about doctorates from from many people and the process that goes into that. But can you just uh, just I don't know, just flex a little bit on the audience and tell us <laughs> a little bit about that story? Sure. You know, that sure. So, you know, I, in this type of work, I was born into it, first of all. So I grew up in my mom and dad started the company, the speech improvement company back in 1964, way, way before, probably 20 years before coaching and training and communication skills was considered to be mainstream. So I grew up with this around the house, but then my undergrad was in mass communication uh, and I studied TV and film production. I really didn't want to go into the family business because I didn't know much about it. And But I studied communication there. And I came into the family business right about the time I started my MBA. And I, I really felt – because I was working in high tech for a while. And then when I came into the family business, this small little company, very prestigious, like been around, but small. And – I fell in love with the work and I decided to change the focus of my MBA to be around how speech communication can help people in the business world. Uh, and then I received an honorary doctorate. That was my first doctorate. Uh, after I, well, I started doing a PhD program years later and I, halfway through that program, I got the honorary doctorate. And I asked my mom at the time, uh, does this mean I can, can bail on the, uh, the PhD? And she's like, no, 
you're halfway through. You need to finish it. And I'm like, ugh, because it took forever. It, well, it took seven years for me. But wow. I, I didn't I, – I wasn't doing the PhD to just get letters. I, I really, really liked it. My PhD is in psychology. And I chose it very specific. I owe psychology, industry and organizational psychology. I chose it because that's the world that we live in as speech coaches. We're working with executives and business professionals on how to be around their talking, around how to be, number one, comfortable around this whole business of, of talking with others. And two is to be really good at it, whatever that it happens yes. to be. So sometimes it's a presentation. It could be a one-on-one -on -one conversation. So we work with a lot of leaders on how to communicate, motivating a group, speak to the motivation within, you know, all of that kind of stuff. Um, so yeah, I mean, so I did the whole education thing and it was a lot of fun. It was hard work. It was really hard work, but, but I did enjoy the path. Yeah. And that's, that's what I was hoping you get into because one of the things that I've noticed when you're on stage or when you're preparing a speech, it really is about how you understand your audience and how you relate yeah. to people. And I think sometimes I always say speeches are structured dialogue or, you know, in, in a way, it, whether, it, whether it's a one way thing like or two way it. thing, you are, yeah, you're, you're inviting someone to participate with you in some way, passively or aggressively, or not aggressively, passively or actively rather. And so I'm very curious from your point of view, as you've mastered a lot of things in relating to psychology and the mind, how can one then develop this, what you call the golden tongue? <laughs> you know, a lot of it is with practice. It's not hard, although hard is a relative term. But there are, you can learn technique and tools that are, it's not about gimmicks. It's not about it's not about, well, just put your hand on your hip and be loud, right? It's about understanding how to be effective at sending messages. Now, for the most part, as, as human beings, we do this, we start to learn about communication at birth. There's some research that suggests it happens before birth, but in the general sense, from when we're born, we begin hearing and learning about communication. And then over our life, like scaffolding in a building, our experiences that we do talking, that we witness and observe all contribute to this. Well, at a certain point as an adult, and even, even as a kid, but at a certain point, we can take charge of that and begin to shape it. Just like in a sport, I, I could play basketball. I know how to dribble a ball. If I'm not very good at it, hey, I can get a coach and become good at it. As humans, we have this ability to learn behaviors. And so with a little practice, you can be very good. Public speaking is very much like that. So it doesn't mean you have to you know, talk like the people you see on TV, which, by the way, contributes to anxiety that we we experience. But you can learn how to be very, very effective uh, in the presenting and communicating that you do, whether it's a large group or one on one. Yeah, it that's a great point, by the way. The idea of you need to be like this, and I, I would be I'd be talking to people, and people would say, you know the way you talk and the way you make jokes or the way Obama gave that speech, I just don't feel like I have that skill set. So I don't know why I would even try and give a speech. Can you address that imposter sure. syndrome there? What's happening in the mind during those moments? Yeah. You know, um, early on my, my parents did, uh, they had conducted research on the fear of public speaking. We deal with it probably in our line of work. We deal with it probably every day. 
But many, many years ago, uh, their first book actually was called No Fear of Speaking. They identified this as something that really needed to be addressed in the coaching and the training because it's really difficult to implement a technique or a tool when the anxiety, the fear of speaking is present. So part of the research they found, there were four different areas that can contribute to this anxiety and fear that we have as a grown-up. One of them is television. And these days that would evolve to what we see on, on any screens. And what happens is even though we understand that what we see on TV is, is fake, actors, scripts, you know, it's make-believe. But there are things we take away from that as real life. For example, if you take your favorite TV show and two people are talking, person A speaks, then person B speaks, and then out of nowhere, 100 people start to laugh. Fine. But then now here I am at work and you say something and I say something and nobody's laughing. And, and mm -hmm. so the next time I want to say it, but oh, I better not. Oh, no, no, I better not. And it's not just about humor. For some reason on TV, everyone seems to have the right thing to say all the time. And that's just not real. In real life, we make mistakes often, frequently, in any given sentence. We constantly make mistakes, but we don't see that. So when we watch a polished professional speaker, we forget that those are practiced things. And, and even when it's a real person, not an actor, like the news, we hear, well, that's real. And not so much. And I don't mean that in a political, like, is now a fake news kind of, I don't mean it like that, but in a psychological, even though it's a real person on the news, you only see a brief segment of them talking. And so for, for those listeners out there that like math, think of it like this. In general American English, the average person speaks at a rate of approximately 183 words per minute. That is the average rate. So if you were to go to a meeting and start counting words, if you're nerdy enough to do that, you get to about 183, a little more, a little less. We can think and process at like 600 words per minute. So we have at any given time about 400 or so words a minute doing other things, right? So, okay, fine. So that's the rate of speech. But when you watch television, uh, you see a sound bite on the news of about maybe three seconds. Now, one more stat I'll give you is that we make mistakes every 100 words on average. So I just give you a lot of numbers here, right? Yeah. But think about it. All right, I'll just review it quickly. We talk at 183 words a minute. We make a mistake every 100 words. You see three seconds of somebody talking. They don't show you enough to see real life communicating. And it's not because there's some sort of like political agenda. It's just boring to show like a lot of stuff. So the editors yeah. are like, hey, short, quick clips. Fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And, and, and this is not like an anti-TV thing. It's just as we're enjoying television and things we see on TV, this is one more piece of fantasy. And when it's like a TED talk, I'm, I'm, I'm mixed with TED talks. I enjoy them, but I don't like to coach speakers to sort of talk like TED because th that's a different person. And then the pressure can be high anxiety. Now we can develop style. That's if you want to do that, that's fine. But when we're just watching people watch and then they see this person was so polished. Can I be like that? And when they can't, the anxiety is there. Can, I mean, could they? Sure. But it takes a little practice. Wow. It, <laughs> it, there's so many things to unpack there. So before we get into the Ted thing, because I, I mean, I, I love Ted, but I, I, I understand what you're saying here with the idea of the 
the mystique and the aura and the prestige of, of TED. And I've been fortunate to have been in these um, environments. I've, I've given four TEDx talks. And one of the things that people don't talk about is how nervous each of the speakers are. And th there's a lot of preparation that gets there. There are even times when things are edited on stage while they have the speaker say something twice or another time and they will edit it again just so that it flows during the actual video delivery of that. And the finished product is often what people are basing the anxiety of without understanding yeah. what goes yeah. on behind yeah. the scenes. And yeah. many people, many people given Ted will tell you this. They'll tell you, this isn't even uh, the full thing that I would say. You know, my talk is normally a keynote, 45 minutes to an hour, but I have to distill this in, you know, you know, eight to 12 or minutes, 18 yeah. minutes max. And that's one of the things that I always want people to understand when it's psychology, that, that one of the great things that Ted does, yes, is helps you distill your idea quickly, but you also have to understand that if you're basing your idea of being able to speak based on, on Ted talks, you are, you're basically thinking that those people aren't anxious themselves. Yeah. It's, it's, make -believe. it's not, yeah, it's make -believe. Yeah. I mean, it's not like it's, they're not real people. I get it. But it's very no, I know what you're no, saying. Yeah. And, and if you look at where the TED, the whole concepts come came from with conference speaking. Now we coach conference speakers in businesses on a regular basis. And it's and it's tricky because these are people who work for a living. <clears throat> they don't present for a living. So but but now it's the annual conference. They've got a thousand or a few thousand people that they have to stand up on a stage. Their job is at not at risk, but like there's a lot there and the anxiety is there, right? So there's a lot that goes into that. We typically would do about six coaching sessions leading up to that six practice sessions. Um, depends on the person, but about that. And the first two or three hours together are really spent working on content, getting a flow together, getting it structured, uh, and then we begin practicing integrating that into their own delivery so they can practice it. There we're still making tweaks. The fourth and fifth hours, we're sort of making adjustments and begin delivery technique. And the last one or two hours are all delivery practice. And it's not about memorization. It's about familiarization. Memorizing is incredibly hard and rarely effective. It's boring to listen to. So we want to get familiarized with what is my point? Why are uh, why should they hear me talk about this? And then what techniques do I have to make my delivery interesting? So it's not hard to do, but it does take work. It doesn't happen overnight. Can't do it at the last second. And so same with a TED talk. It's the same same idea. But then you have all of these people pressuring you, you know, lights, camera, action kind of thing. <laughs> yep, but, very okay, common. The, <laughs> the thing that I'm picking up on there is, you know, one of the best ways to calm your nerves down is to to be prepared. It's so funny. Because people will say, you're so natural, you're natural on stage, but they don't understand that it is, in, it, what happens to get you to be natural is a lot of preparation. One of the people, one of the groups of people I love to study are stand-up comics, for example. I, I'm, uh, yeah. I mm -hmm. teach communication like you do. And, yeah, and so, I, I, yeah, and I would, I would look at pastors or preachers or stand-up comics, and the amount of preparation it gets for them to deliver a final set is insane. A comic will go to several local comic book stores to work jokes, to try things out. One works, one doesn't work, one does get left. And then sure. he'll add that, that's five minutes here, that's 10 minutes here, that's six minutes here. And then it becomes a final stand-up special. It doesn't just happen magically, right? Yeah. There, are, there are reports of, oh, Dave Chappelle bombed here, or all that here. But he's not worried about the bombing, he's just saying, oh, okay, I mean, 
I was yeah. just testing something out. And that's the same approach that it takes there. And, you know, it, it's not necessarily that you have to be a perfect speaker and there doesn't have to be a perfect voice. The other anxiety is sometimes people feel like they have a high pitch voice or a low pitch voice. Or mm -hmm. what do you say to those things where they don't feel like their voice is in deep or they can't command presence? What would you say to those? Well, I, I think, first of all, you, you, you got to know whether or not that's an, an actual issue or one in your own mind. Uh, we often, we most frequently hear that particular uh, uh, concern when people are recording themselves. And when they listen to the recording, they hear it tinny or higher pitched. And so what happens is, I mean, we've always heard our own voice through the skull. So it's always a little bit deeper. And then when we hear the recording, guess what? That's what the rest of the world has always heard. So now here's, <laughs> here's the issue, right? If the voice becomes a distraction from the message, meaning when I hear you, if I am more focused on the sound of your voice, uh, then it's an issue. Then it's a concern. And you can work on that. That's something that can be there are there are things. I mean, not with everybody, and with, there are some extreme cases, right? But in general, you can. It's hard. It's a lot of work to change your voice, the sound of your. I mean, professional actors can do it, but then again, right. they've got nothing else to do all day, so they can do that. But to do it long term takes a lot of work and effort. For the most part, you just want to take care of the quality of your voice. So if you know you have a presentation, pay attention to things like room temperature, water before you speak, or things like that to. Just to make sure that the quality is there for you when you need it. That's that's perfect. Okay, what about communicating with opposite personalities? You know, people that have personalities that you could clash with. <laughs> that's a great topic. Uh, you know, we've been talking so far a little bit about the sounds that we make as humans, voice, the speech a little bit. In this case, this question here is more on the other side of what we we typically coach and train on, which is the psychology. So. Yeah, that's not easy. And depending on who the person is, if it's a different personality type, the 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 easiest word to throw out would be patience. But it's easy to hear that, hard to actually do. Uh, one of the things we can consider is when we are talking with somebody different from us is how do they need to hear a message in order to receive it and and comprehend it? What approach do you need to take? to get through to them. For, I'll give you an example. Uh, there are some people, well, all right, I'll get, let's do a little teaching, right? If we look at uh, Aristotle, uh, who's one of the early philosophers we like in the study of speech comm, he was trying to figure out how we think and process as humans. And the words he used are somewhat well known, but even if you don't know it, let me share it to you in the context of how we use them in speech communication. Aristotle was saying that people are either, they process things either in an inductive or deductive reasoning pattern. So if I'm an inductive thinker, that means that I need to have all the background information first and then tell me the point, then tell me what you want. If I'm a deductive thinker, I need the point first, then give me the background details. And this is a very profound concept in communication because when these two people meet each other, look out, <laughs> there is a level of frustration that just tears the communication apart. I mean, if I'm a deductive thinker and an inductive person comes to talk to me, uh, you know, I start looking impatient. I'm like, uh-huh, uh-huh, yeah, yeah, okay, yeah, what do you want? What do you want? What? Get to the point. I, I get so mad, right? And the reverse is true. If I'm an inductive thinker 
and this deductive guy comes to me. I look, I look, I sound, I look confused and I sound like this. What? Hold on a second. Wait, how did you get to the, would you just back up? So the skill is to know, number one, what, which way do I tend to lean as the one who's talking? And number two, what does my listener need me to be in order for them to get the message? And that's a hard concept for some people because there are a lot yeah. of folks who said, you know what? I am who I am and I'm proud of who I am and I shouldn't have to change to be somebody else. That's not what we're talking about. This isn't about being a different person. This is about accuracy, sending a message in a way that another person gets the message. So do it in a way they can process it and you're going to do very, very well. That's, yeah, that's important. Oh my goodness. And that's also important for people who are trying to understand how to connect across cultures, right? If you're, Absolutely. you have to be able to see things from the other side, you, there are a few things here to bring up, right? You, you touched on it a little bit, how to handle defensiveness. I'm very curious about how to then turn that conversation around, right? And, and then maybe if you could talk about different ways to really, I guess, upgrade the, the relationship with some choice words or some simple right. word choices, because I think those things go hand in hand, you know, because that's what happens. Be like, people feel like you're threatening who they are or how they've done this. And so, yeah. Yeah. yeah you know, with, with defensiveness, part of the challenge, well, there's, there, it depends on, you know, it's situational, but I can, I can talk about it at a general sense. For the most part, what's happening is, I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. People are not feeling like they are heard. And that may sound very obvious. It's like, oh, okay. So I'll just say, yeah, I hear you. But that's not enough. And the tone of the voice sends a very different message. So when I say, yeah, I hear you, but it's like, and the first of all, there's the but word that just came out, right? Which is an erasure word. It, it erases a validator that you do. So true. Um, so if I if I were to say to you, you know, well, yeah, your your hair looks really nice today, but like something bad is coming, right? So. You got to be careful about that. And you don't even have to say the word. It's the tone. Yeah, you, you know, your hair looks good today. <laughs> but it's like you can hear it. It's there. Yeah. I don't even have to say yeah. it. So we, we, when, when dealing with somebody who's defensive, the first thing you've got to do is demonstrate that you can hear them from their point of view. So you might paraphrase as one approach. Uh, you might stop and listen. You might ask them questions about their point of view, which is very hard to do when you think you already know their point of view, and maybe you do, and you adamantly disagree with it, adamantly disagree with it. 
because we have this problem where we think that validating and agreement are the same thing, and they're not. Can they overlap? Sure. If I agree with you, that's a form of validating. But the other way around, I can validate. If you said, Ethan, I want you to go jump off the roof, I might say, oh, okay, well, great. So how high should I go? Oh, all the way to the top? Okay, great, thanks. So I'm not going to jump off the roof because I'd be dead. Now, in my example, I'm, I'm validating by just hearing you out. In that example, I just used the word great to, to prove a point. But you've got to think about how can you let the other person know that you hear them? It's, it's really hard. As we say in Boston, it's wicked hard. It's really difficult because when you're like, there's no way I'm going to agree to that. The concept of validation isn't there. And if our relationship is already really, really strong, who cares? This yeah. stuff, I can just be like, you know, F you, <laughs> you know, like yeah. I can say whatever because the relationship can take it. We'll be frustrated. And 10 minutes later, we're going out for dinner. But when it's somebody I don't know that well, this is where communication matters. You mentioned about how do you build up the relationship? It's moments like that where you can demonstrate patience, hear the other person and don't worry about responding. Just just focus in on on comprehending their message and letting them know you hear it. So let me see. So if I understand correctly, you're looking for me to go to the roof of the building and then jump. Like now would I jump far or just jump straight like even ask questions, right? Then once the validation is there, now you can switch it to any direction you want. Then you mm -hmm. can switch it. But most yeah. of the time we don't. The person gets defensive. I get defensive back. Then we are, you start yelling, and the next thing you know, it's an argument going it nowhere. Is. It is. And then with word choices, you're saying be careful if they, you know, but or uh, maybe I see. <laughs> so, yeah I'm, yeah, I'm now trying to think of how to then do the opposite, the positive. You know, what a positive – word choices that you could apply in a relationship that makes that person feel. Just give yourself permission to just hear them and mm -hmm. comprehend what they're saying. Our mind moves so quickly. We hear it. We've already decided and now we're upset. So we don't want to let them finish or they finish, but our body language is saying no way. And then they don't think that you've been hurt. If you if you're in an argument, that's not stopping. Usually that's because both that somebody doesn't feel like the other side understands it. And language like, yeah, I understand you, sometimes just doesn't cut it. It just, they don't believe you. So you've <laughs> got to help them understand that you do understand yeah. where they're coming from. Maybe you give examples, things like that. Yeah. Now, I, I, I want to just mention something. You said about the word choice. That's a, I think that's an excellent pickup for you on this, an excellent observation. When, when we look at when we look at the attitude, and we do look at attitudes in communication, uh, in our office here, in our staff room, there's a, in the refrigerator, the, on the refridge, there's a uh, little yellow sticky that has ABC. Attitude becomes communication. The way we think about something becomes the way we sound and look and talk. And so we can look at attitudes so that matters. So we pay attention and study the psychology of attitudes and we coach and we train people on how to be sensitive to these so that you can skill up and become self-aware of what? Okay, well, take your attitudes. You could break them into two parts. You have your professional attitude and your personal attitude. This is just names we we came up with for these two categories. But when we're in our professional attitude is what we call it, typically this stuff is all easy. 
I'm fairly comfortable. I know sort of what to say, how to say it. I can, I'm making, I'm getting through to you. When we're in our personal attitude, we're highly emotional, extremely angry, frustrated, could be happy, right? Fine. So we start on the professional as an example, and everything's going, and then something happens, a trigger. We call it a hook because it's kind of like when you're fishing and the, the fish gets caught on the hook and it gets ripped out of the water. Here you are in the professional attitude and somebody says something, they look at you somehow, and, and then we get hooked instantly, instantly. We are hooked into the personal attitude. And it is safe to say that once you've been hooked, no matter what you say, it's probably not going to be very helpful in that moment because the attitude becomes communication. Now you're all mad, and instead of saying the message, you're going to say, I'm mad, I'm angry. And if that's your message, then fine. But rarely is that a, a constructive message to send you know, in, in an argument or, or in a business meeting or things like that. So we look for these hooks. So what you said about the words, the reason I, I thought of this, words can hook us. A certain word, you know, or a certain tone can really hook us and undermine the entire communication. That's the thing. Communication is not just, you know, verbal. It's a, a lot of it is nonverbal and body language. And, and there are so many things, tone, uh, micro expressions. And yeah. as you start to really master communications at work, which is what yep. we're segueing into here, you're going to. Great book. <laughs> yeah, it's a great book. It's written by Dr. Ethan Becker. He's probably <laughs> on this podcast. You should check him out. <laughs> um, but it, it then leads into this thin where you, in your book, you talk about how to lead, manage, and influence, right? So we start off the conversation talking about speaking on stage and maybe speaking to people. In the workplace, you're dealing with different personalities. You're dealing with people you might not know elsewhere outside of work, or maybe you might not even like, but have to work together. Or yeah. someone you have to close a sale with. How do we do this, Ethan? <laughs> yeah. There's, there's actually there's a really good chapter in, in the book on speaking to the motivation within. And it's, 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 it's very, very effective. This is some psychology that my father put together and developed back probably in the 1970s. But we still use it today. It still applies today. He was cross-referencing some Aristotle and some, some modern psychology to come up with a way of approaching someone. For As an example, um, it, some people are, people are motivated by different things. We're motivated for things and by things. So, so for example, people are motivated for things like a sense of achievement or a sense of affection or recognition. Uh, or the third one would be power, you know, motivated for that. Uh, and that's not a negative thing. It's just descriptive. People are motivated by things like credibility, emotion, logic. And when you cross-reference these things, it can be very helpful to you in framing language and conversations. In the workplace, if you have to give feedback to someone or delegate to someone, if they're motivated by credibility and for a sense of power, well, you might frame something a certain way. You might say something like, hey, listen, if you do a good job on this, the, the, you know, uh, the boss, the CEO is going to come down here and he may give you a promotion. And that will resonate with you. But if you just heard my example and you're like, oh, that's just pathetic. That's not me. Well, hold on. Some people are motivated for a sense of achievement, meaning I just wanted you know, an honest day's pay for an honest day's work. I'm coming in. You told me to do this. I did this. Right. 
if I, that's achievement. If I'm an achievement person and a logic person, and you said to me, hey, if you do a great job, the CEO is going to give you a promotion, I might actually take offense to that. And a lot wow. of people, a lot of people go with what they personally think would be exciting, not thinking about the other person they're talking to. And so you might say something different. You, if it's an achievement logic person, you might say something like, um, yes, the, uh, the, um, the specifics for this particular project have changed. So we're going to update the deadline and uh, we need to get this done by the uh, end of the month or something specific. I'm not name dropping. I'm not talking about promotions or power. I'm just talking about what it takes to get it done, right? And that's going to have a better job of motivating or resonating with somebody. And, you know, this kind of stuff, we, we see this a lot. And some folks think that this is about being a fake person or, well, I, I'm just, I am who I am. To which I say, it's fine, be who you are, but also let's, let's communicate your ideas in a way that someone else can get it. We don't do this stuff for yourself. This isn't, a, I mean, we often hear people say, it's not about you. It's not about you. You don't need it. You already know why you're wicked smart. Like, you know what's going on in your head. You know why you, we learn techniques in communication because we want another person to understand where we're coming from, what our thoughts are. So this is not, learning skills like this is not about trying to be a fake person or somebody else or is awkward. It's learning how to be skillful enough to communicate your ideas in a way other people can receive it and maybe even be motivated by it. And it's very effective when you do it. Wow, that's that's incredible. And this is another reason why you should get the book, by the way, because whether you are someone that thinks you're not a great talker or a great communicator, it's still a skill that you need to acquire. If you want to be a parent or a coworker or a colleague or a friend, there are yeah. subtle things that we don't do in today's world. And I think the root of a lot of the problems we have today is that a lot of people don't know how to communicate, whether you are going to the government level, education level, workplace level, family level. And, uh, you know, you're, some, you're someone who studies psychology, but I imagine you've been in positions where people that you know have come to you. And when you hear both sides of the problem, you hear that they just didn't hear each other or see each other. Yeah. And they All were the too time. married to the ideas. And that's yeah. what happens. You know, you know, how do we reduce our ego and open our minds to the idea that Taking in a new idea doesn't make us less of a person. It actually connects us as opposed to, you know, right. whatever fears we might have. Interesting. Yeah, and you you can hear a new idea and not agree with it, and it's okay. The challenge is sometimes we don't even hear it. It doesn't get that far. We Well, no, we hear the words, but we're not actually co contemplating and receiving the message of the idea. What? And when we do, let's say you and I are disagreeing. When we actually can understand each other and still disagree, the relationship's fine. It's actually stronger. We have even more respect for each other. The problem in the workplace is that when we're disagreeing and we didn't even hear each other to begin with, and now we each go back to our corners, our cubicles, our offices, and we're just mad. And then we start venting and complaining to people around us. So, yeah. but one thought I was thinking is that when, when you're, and for listeners listening to this, if you're thinking about a meeting that you just had where the person was really upset and it just didn't go very well, think about that, that we call it the motivation matrix, but think about that concept and say, look, when I, the way that I said it, the words that I used 
Would that resonate with this person or would it get them hooked? Is there something I said that once they've been hooked, they couldn't hear anything else? And how do you avoid that in the future? Uh, I don't know if you can be perfect at it. I don't know many people who are. We're human. We're, we're going to screw up a lot. But those who are the most effective, they might take five minutes to grab a colleague and say, hey, listen, I'm going to go have this meeting with this person. Can we practice for five minutes? Tell me if there's anything I'm saying that would hook you, you know, or things like that. The difference between those who practice and those who don't is night and day. And it's not even hard. It's a, and it may feel weird, but don't worry about that. Just get over that. It's great. It's worth it. It's powerful practice. That's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's important. And, uh, I, you know, I, I think you bring up Aristotle's, uh, you know, pattern of reasoning is a good reminder. But also when you talk about the opposite personalities and just really understanding that listening, this lost art of listening, actively yeah. listening, deep yeah. listening is, uh, is, is something that we need to be more aware of. I think a lot of people listen to confirm, right? Instead yeah. of listen to understand. And so when you have that subtle shift, it's different. As um as we get ready to wrap up here, I want to talk about uh, the three stages of transforming beliefs and rapidly increasing sales. Uh, do you uh, have a few minutes for that? Go for <laughs> it. Rock and roll, man. Yeah. Yeah. No, I'm curious. How, how can we rapidly increase our sales with those three st stages? Because I do know Sales is, you know, it can be good or bad depending on who's listening to it, but it's still something that we need to be able to have as a, in, in our back pocket because we're always selling regardless of where we are. Well, when I look, when we look at, at selling, I, I'd probably propose a different lens. Um, mm. Maybe I'll, I'll, I'd bring up a little bit more Aristotle here, which is funny because he wasn't a salesman, but um, one of the things he talks about is the only three ways to persuade anybody to do anything, period. That's it. There isn't a fourth. In fact, if you can think of a fourth, we'll write a book and we'll retire. <laughs> I mean, it'll be done. But for the last 2000 or so years, any possible mode of persuasion fits within one of these three. And when you, when you do your selling and you look at this and map these three modes of persuasion with the way you're talking, the way you're speaking and so forth. Some of it you're going to see is already there and some of it you're going to see what's missing. The first one is the Greek word ethos, which is the idea that you'll be persuaded through means of credibility, reputation, ethics, who you are, the credibility you have. And ethos is a relative thing, by the way, because it, it depends on who you are and who you're talking to. What's credible to one person is not going to be credible to somebody else necessarily. Uh, right. We had a, a client of ours one time, multi-billion dollar uh, company, where every five years or so, the board likes to replace the CEO. It's just something that this company does. And one CEO came in, and he asked for a list of names of all the employees who went to Harvard, Wharton, came from consulting companies like Bain or McKinsey, and, and he let go of almost all of them and shocked the company. And we asked him, we're like, so uh, – what's up? <laughs> and, and he said, look, I've been doing this a long time. And he's like, I just don't, I don't believe in that whole approach. I think it gets in the way. I think it's going to hurt our business. I want it all out. And I like the example because here are brands that many people consider to be high quality brands, but here's somebody who is the CEO of this multi-billion dollar company saying, no, that does not equal quality to me. Ethos is a relative thing. 
as a as a speech coach for me, my ethos is pretty good, right? I'm second generation, best selling author. I travel the globe, work with global leaders. My ethos is good. It's strong. But at home, when it comes time to paint the living room, I got fired little bit of paint on the floor. Now I got to pay another guy to do it, which my friend said was a good idea. Right. So I have no <laughs> ethos at home, but I have, e so ethos is relative. You should, there are two questions that you want to ask. You need to know about yourself with ethos. Number one, what is it? What is my ethos? It is not always where you went to school or things like that, but what makes you credible if you're a salesperson and maybe you just started out, you only have two months on the job. Uh, so don't say I've been working at this company for 18 years. You might say in the two months that I've been here, I've been studying your company and I've been studying how our product is a fit, right? Somehow you have to do question number two, how will they communicate? How will you communicate the ethos to them? So what is it first of all, and how do you communicate it? Do you say it formally? Do you inject it in there? Maybe your ethos shows by the fact that you know that customer, right? So you got to ask yourself what that is. A lot of times we just go by default. We leverage the company's PowerPoint deck or print materials and we borrow the company's ethos. That's fine, but you should know what it is. That's the first one. The other two are quick. The second mode of persuasion is what Aristotle calls pathos, pathos. This is the idea that you'll be persuaded through means of emotion, excitement, fear, some emotional component. We've seen sales programs try to sell solely on that, find their pain, you know, things like that. There's a word to avoid, but you know, <laughs> we, the emotional component of something. And then the third one is the, is the idea that you'll be persuaded through means of logic. For example, statistics, data, you know, in shirt sleeve English, we say, oh, it just makes sense. A plus B equals C, right? So we have this ethos, pathos, and logos. Now, how do you use this as a sales professional? Think about it. There is ethos, pathos, and logos in everything. It's in the physical space that we're in. You know, the room that you're meeting in with people. It's in the topic. There are topics that you bring up with your customers that have a certain level of ethos or pathos or logos in it. You should know what that is. Are you talking about something that has high pathos to them? Maybe you've been normalized because you do it every day, but to them, right? And there's ethos, pathos, and logos in you. It's in what you look like. It is in the way that you sound. So this isn't a question of, do I use the ethos thing Ethan talked about? It has nothing to do with me. It's, can you use it? Can you pay attention to it? Can you begin to match for example, what you are saying with the way that you are saying it, because when you can, the quality of the message is very high and you are very likely to get through to that particular person. And I do talk about this in the book, which is always a little plug there for mastering communication at work. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, no, I love it. So that's where we're going. So where can people buy the book? People can get it on Amazon. Um, uh, that's probably the best place to buy it. Our website is speechimprovement.com. Uh, you can just email us right from the website there. And uh, there's a team of us all over the world. We're very easy to connect to. We do private coaching. We do large group training, enterprise-wide, you name it. And we fly everywhere. Oh, these days we do everything. We also can do a lot of work remote easily enough with Skype and Zoom and so forth. Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, I'll definitely put that in the show notes. So the book is called Mastering Communication at Work, How to Lead, Manage, and Influence. It's by 
Ethan Becker and John Wartman, right? Uh, yes. I guess. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, you got and, it. Yeah, I want to make sure I was pronouncing his name right. And you got it. Uh, yeah, we'll put the links in the show notes and we'll make sure that we have uh, as many people. Uh, oh, getting uh, real quick. Let me, I forgot to mention, this is really new. We just announced an app uh, that we developed and we actually developed it in-house here. Uh, it's a nice supplement to the book. It's called Speech Companion. Uh, I'm sorry, it's only on Apple right now. We might do an Android one later, but it's got some great tools to supplement the book and um, some tools to work on your articulation. There's a review of persuasion, that motivation matrix I talked to. It's cool. It's just a free, it's a free thing. We did it for our uh, customers and readers and people who have been exposed to us. So if you want to take your learning up, you can search for Speech Companion. Speech Companion. Okay, that's good. Thank you. And the last question I always ask my audience is my mission statement reframed as a question. My mission statement is use your difference to make a difference. So, Dr. Becker, how do you use your difference to make a difference? Well, our, our, our mission is to heal the world through communication one word at a time. So our mission to make a difference is to try to help people to be more comfortable and more effective at the talking they do. And it's our belief that if we can help people to talk more effectively with each other, they stop hitting each other because the talking is happening at a much higher level. And if we can do that, we can try to heal the world just one word at a time in our, in our small way. I love it. Getting people to talk and just uh, that's it's such a simple thing to say, but it's not an easy thing to do. So I appreciate that. Thank you. you for, thank you for enlightening us. So um, I just want to thank you for the show. But I also want to thank you for being as honest as you can be on the show, uh, because that's usually the best part about any podcast when you can really get the essence and passion come through. So thank you for being that person. You got it. Thanks for having me on the show. I appreciate it. This is great. Ah, the pleasure is mine. Ladies, gentlemen, and gender non-binary individuals, till next time, use your difference to make a difference. You've just been listening to the As Told by Nomads podcast. For more ways to reach out to Tayo and to use your difference to make a difference, head over to www.tayoroxon.com. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365 day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Mom deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 